Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love. Hello, everyone. We are really excited to introduce you to our special guest today. When I say we, I'm meaning my co-host sitting next to me, my husband, Scott. Hello, hello. And our special guest today is Laura Lane. After losing her daughter to cancer, Laura Lane's first nonfiction book called Two Mothers, One Prayer was co-authored with another mother, Laura Nurston, to help parents of children with cancer. And I know we're going to talk about her beautiful daughter's story. And I know Laura, she helps people love again. And we'll talk about what that means. So hello, Laura. Welcome. Hi, Becky. Hi, Scott. This interview is via Skype. And you live... I live 20 minutes from Niagara Falls in Canada. It's a beautiful place to come to visit. That's the yep. most beautiful side, actually, to see the oh, Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, we're rather proud of it. <laughs> and it takes quite an American to uh, admit that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, take us on your journey. So my journey started back in 2011, the day that I received a phone call from my children's stepmother. I knew that Celeste wasn't well, that she had been having some headaches, and I was afraid that it meant for her a diagnosis of migraines, that this would be something she would be plagued with for her life. And she had been having these headaches that were so intense, they were waking her up in the middle of the night. Her stepmom was a neurology student, and she said, well, she would take her to the doctor's. And that morning, Celeste developed um, double vision, and the doctor said knew there was something really wrong. And so he then sent them to the emergency, and that's where Michelle gave me a call. And Celeste had a CAT scan by 2 in the afternoon. She had an MRI by dinner time, and by 9.30 at night, she was having emergency neurosurgery, brain surgery. And that was our introduction to the world of pediatric Oncology. They then sent us to Toronto to Sick Kids Hospital to one of the top neurologists, um, neurosurgeons uh, in the world, Dr. Drake. And he then performed a second surgery and was able to get a biopsy. And we were told at that time that she was diagnosed with penioblastoma. And it's such a rare tumor. The chances of getting it is one in seven million. So there aren't very many kids in the world who ever have it at the same time. We get launched into this whole world that now we're full-blown looking at, okay, this is penioblastoma, we have a name, there's a recommendation of a protocol that St. Jude was testing out that we would be trying that with her, and that involved four to six months of high-dose chemotherapy and stem cell rescue. So this was going to be a very intense, intense time for Celeste to be going through. And when that first happened, we were putting all of our focus on being positive and all the things that could go right in this situation. I had spent the previous year trying training with Bob Proctor. At that point, I had become certified to teach his personal growth and development programs, and he had taught me that when we come across fear, that fear usually is the outcome of of lack of knowledge, that when we don't know something, that we then fear. So every time fear would come up in me, I would say, okay, what don't I know, and what do I need to know um, in order to get through this, in order to feel at peace? 
and fine. I didn't want to go on the internet and find out everything that we that would be could go horribly wrong. I want to just focus on this is what we're doing. We're focusing on this protocol, and and we're asking everybody that we knew to pray for Celeste. There were people all around the world praying for her. So a couple months later, I start to get this nudge, this little whispering is like, Laura, go and look online. And at first I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. But it just kept coming back. I needed to go check online what it said about this particular tumor. And so when I finally go and Google it, this website comes up and it was made by a woman whose child had penioblastoma and he had passed away and she had done the work of compiling all the information about this particular tumor and she created one particular page that was called Penio Kids and she listed every child she'd ever found that had had the tumor because there's so few of them and I'm going through this list and lo and behold there's a 12 year old girl who was diagnosed in February 2011 well Celeste went into the hospital in February 2011, and she was 12 years old. And I looked it up afterwards. The chances of that happening is 23.5 billion to one. So I was very much surprised to find another 12-year-old girl going through the same thing. And so then I reached out and contacted her family, and her name is Haley. And her mom, Lori, and I went from being complete strangers to best friends because here we finally had someone who knew exactly what we were going through and at the exact same time and had the same worries about having these preteens about to, to go through these procedures and, and everything. And it was such a comfort to both of us to have someone who just totally got it, totally understood. And for the girls themselves, they were then able to Skype with each other. And it was so neat to see their first Skype call because they're in, introducing each other and they, they start showing, they're in their hospital rooms. If you can imagine this, they're sitting in a hospital bed and they're showing each other their rooms and what's on their walls and both have heads where they've shaved portion of their heads. They've got the same scars. They were like two little old ladies comparing their war wounds. It was so cute. And just comparing all their little aches and things that were going on. But they finally had someone who got it, who totally understood what each was going through that they find unlike some of their friends at school and other people couldn't quite get it but here Celeste could understand what Haley was going through and Haley could understand what Celeste was going through and it was so beautiful gotta be something comforting to be able to speak to someone that truly gets it it was really helpful to have someone else who understood what we were both going what each girl was going through and as moms to be able to to support each other through it all one of the things that we focused on was making sure that everyone was looking at everything that could go right, the best case scenario. And so Haley was exactly one day ahead of Celeste in the protocol. And so Haley's counts would go up and say to Celeste, oh, Haley's counts went up today. Well, the very next day, Celeste's counts would go up. It's almost like we were pre-programming her to say, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And her body would go, oh, okay, I'll do that. And it was, it it was incredible. Um, the the mind, the, the the power of suggestion, um, and the mind is an incredible, incredible tool. And we either program it for positive things or we program it for negative things, and and we have the choice. Um, and so we put a big focus on just suggesting all the things that could go right. When the doctors would talk about side effects, and like we don't want to know what can go wrong, please tell us everything that could go right. How far how far apart were these two girls? We live uh, 500 miles away from each other. Haley was having her treatment in Philadelphia at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. They live in New Jersey, 
and we were up at St. Kids Hospital in Toronto. And so that was just another incredible thing that out of all the places in the world, we were only 500 miles apart because they could have been living in Australia they, or England or somewhere else. So after the girls had their treatment um, and they were discharged from the hospital and they started to get better, Haley had her no evidence of disease and we were focusing on that for Celeste. Lori and Haley came up to visit us so we got to meet in person. On the front cover of my book, or our book, I used the photograph of the two girls. So we were visiting the CN Tower in Toronto, and they were standing on a glass floor looking up. And it's just a gorgeous picture. And so we were very fortunate to have a picture of the two of the girls together. So after four months in the hospital, they both were able to go back to school. They're in grade 8, and they graduate from grade eight with honors, both of them, winning multiple different awards. It was it was amazing. The girls had to learn how to walk again and, and develop their fine motor skills and everything because the chemo drugs that they were given was, was terrible. So the things that they had to overcome to be able to do that, to be able to go back to school and get on with life was just, just incredible. Celeste was able to attend girls camp in the summertime and leadership conference and she did some acting classes and she was getting ready for high school and Haley as well. So both girls were all prepared to go off to grade nine for high school. And that's when we got our next MRI with Celeste and we're totally focusing on her tumor had shrunk 98.5%. We're like, okay, this next MRI, the tumor is going to be completely gone and she'll have her no evidence of disease Haley had her no evidence of disease, so we're on the right track. Everything's awesome. We get the MRI, and it wasn't. All of a sudden, we're looking at some little tiny spots on the MRI, and the doctors weren't quite sure what else to recommend. They didn't have any treatments for us at that time, and um, it just totally shook my world. Like, no, this is this is not what we prayed for. This is not, we were getting a miracle, and obviously we just haven't done enough. So we'll just have to pray harder, and we'll have to do more, and, and that became my whole focus, that I'm like, I know we can have a miracle. I was so set on, on us having this incredible miracle. People were praying for her all over the world. There was no doubt in my mind we were going to have a miracle. And all of a sudden, I'm like, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. And then that's when I came to this realization that as much as I was willing to fight and do anything for my little girl, it wasn't actually my fight. That this was up to Celeste. That if she felt, if she wanted to fight, then I would do everything in the world to help her to fight it. But I also had to realize that if she felt like she couldn't do this anymore, that that was okay too. When I finally had that surrendering moment to say, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay, that's when I finally got real peace, that there was going to be hope either way, that if, if Celeste felt like she couldn't fight it anymore, then we would simply just make every day that she had left wonderful, whether that meant three months or three years or whatever that meant. And so then I turned and I had a conversation with Celeste. 
And I said, sweetie, if you want to fight this, then we'll do everything to help you to fight this. But if you can't do this anymore, it's okay. We'll just do whatever we can to make your life wonderful. And she's like, no, mommy, I want to fight this. And I'm like, okay, that's my daughter. We decided we would focus on on asking people to continue to pray for her, and we would figure out what the next step would be. And she started high school, and life got busy, and, and she's doing really well. But then she started to get some aches and pains in her legs. And, um, and then a couple months later, her headaches started to come back. And um, when that happened, then they said they wanted to do another MRI. So that day of the MRI, we go into the hospital, they do the MRI, and then they need, t- they need time to process it. You know, when you're in a hospital, it's all hurry up and wait. You want to get to that appointment, and then they make you wait and wait and wait. And so that's what we're doing is we're just waiting in this room for them to do whatever they need to do before we can start the process. And so I pull out my journal, and I said to Celeste, if you could do anything in the whole world, what would you want to do? If you could go anywhere, if you could meet anyone, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And she's, oh, I want to go to to Europe. She said she wanted to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower and try pain au chocolat. She wanted to go to see Big Ben in London, England. She wanted to go to Switzerland and try real Swiss chocolates. And she wanted to go to the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. And so I'm writing all of these things down. I'm like, okay, sweetie. So if you could meet anyone in the whole world, who would you want to meet? And the first thing she said was Robin Williams. So I wrote that down and I said, well, who else? And she said, Celine Dion. So I wrote that down next to, I said, who else? She said, Anne Hathaway. We had just seen Les Mis with Anne Hathaway, and she loved Ella Enchanted and and Princess Diaries. And so I wrote that down. And then, of course, we're huge Doctor Who fans. And she wanted to meet the cast of the Doctor Who TV show. So I'm writing all this down. I said, what else would you want to do? And she wanted to go rock climbing and try Nanaimo bars and try new foods. And I write down this whole huge list. And then we go after the, the scan was done. We went downstairs to meet with the doctors. And at that point, they said, um, we looked at the MRI. And she had so much cancer in her little body. They only expected her to live days or weeks. And that was not what I was prepared for. I was prepared for bad news meant months or years, not days or weeks. And so I told the doctor, Celeste wants to go to Europe. And he said, I'm sorry, um, with the tumors in her brain, she can't, she won't be able to fly. That will hurt too much. It'd be too painful. So he said that was out of the question. And I said, well, then we'll just, fa- we'll just focus on everything else on the list. And that day, we sent out a, a Facebook message and sent an email to everybody we knew. And we said, this is the deal. Celeste doesn't have much time left. And this is what she wants. So if you know anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone, can you help us to contact some of these people so that we can make some of her dreams come true? Well, we sent that out to everybody we knew. And that included a lot of teenagers, a lot of Celeste's friends. So if you tell a whole bunch of teenagers you want to contact people in in Hollywood, well, they bombarded Hollywood with tweets, with emails, with tech. Like, they just sent it out there. (laughs) Wildfire. It was insane. That was on Friday. On Wednesday, we are sitting at her dad's house, and her stepmom, Michelle, answers the phone. And this man calls asking for Celeste. And she's like, well, who is this man calling for our daughter? And he says, David Tennant. 
she's like, oh my goodness, it is, because he's got a Scottish accent, and he's got a distinctive <laughs> voice. She's like, oh my goodness. So we hand the phone to Celeste. David Tennant was he played doctor, the tenth doctor in the Doctor Who TV series. And so she hands the phone to Celeste. She's sitting at the dining room table, holding the phone up, and talking to him like she does this every day of her life. She was the calmest, coolest child ever. They talked about their favorite things. They talked about spaghetti bolognese. And here's the rest of the family. We're standing in the hallway on the extension, jumping up and down. Like, couldn't believe it. And here's Celeste. She does this every day of her life. She was so incredible. Well, the next day, Celeste got a Skype call from Robin Williams. He was on tour, and he had a show in Salt Lake, and somebody got hold of him there, and he called her via Skype, and they talked for about 15 minutes, and he said that he wanted to continue their conversation, that once he was done his tour in, in a few days or weeks, that he wanted to be able to call her again from his home in San Francisco. He has a house that looks over the ocean and has an incredible view of, of the San Francisco Bay. And he wanted to introduce her to his dog and his cat. And he did. He called back uh, after he was done his tour. So it was just incredible. And and he barked like a seal for us. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we really are talking to Robin Williams. Here he is barking like a seal, and we're just laughing away. It was awesome. That was Thursday. Friday, someone got hold of Celine Dion in Vegas. And she called before her show and talked to Celeste and told her how much she loved her and dedicated that evening's performance to Celeste. And then one more day, like the next day after that, someone got hold of Anne Hathaway and Annie called her and they spoke for 45 minutes. She said she considered this an introduction and that Celeste was her new best friend. They talked about everything, and they got along so well. They had so many things in common, so the things that they loved to read. And, and Celeste told her about her dress that she had for her grad. That it was all made out of ties, and she told her all about Granddad's soup party. And, and Anne, Annie just thought soup parties were an awesome idea. So if you ever hear of them having soup parties in either New York City or in Hollywood, you know that Anne Hathaway got the idea from Celeste. <laughs> and then after that, Jim Carrey sent her a box set of DVDs. Karen Gillian sent her a video message. And then a few weeks later, Matt Smith, who was a doctor at the time, he called and talked to Celeste for about 15 minutes on a day that she was having such a hard day um, right before the end. And it was such a boost to her for, for Matt to call. The kindness of all of those celebrities to call Celeste to take that time out and, and to spend some time with my little girl was incredible. And then just the kindness of so many people who were wanting to help in any way they could. And what I learned is that people are wonderful, and if you ask, they will help. And people want to be there for you. They just need to know how. And then you lost your sweet, beautiful Celeste. Yeah, so then she passed away on February 24th, 2013, two years to the day that she first went in the hospital. And so when Celeste passed away, I made it my mission to finish writing that book. And this gave me a purpose that, okay, I have something I need to do. I needed to finish that, writing that book. And so we published it on February 24th, 2015. The name is Two Mothers, One Prayer. The subtitle is Faith. 
Facing Your Child's Cancer with Hope, Strength, and Courage by Laura Lane and Lori Nurston. And where can our listeners purchase this book? You can be found right on Amazon, through Barnes and Nobles. You can get it on iTunes as an ebook as well. You can get print copies or uh, as an ebook. The real focus of what I've learned is most important these days is to learn to love again. We need to love ourselves. Um, love our lives, and really focus on creating deeper, more meaningful relationships because it really puts everything into perspective. Um, When we can put love back as the focus of our lives, I think that's the one lesson that I have learned from Celeste is everything is a bit was about how much I love my daughter. Even learning to understand grief. Grief is an expression of love. We only grieve to the extent that we love. Um, and, and then when we can bask in that love rather than fearing the grief, it feels so much better. And so that's, that's what I get to, to do now as I share that, uh, that message with people. There's only two directions you can go with God when these things happen in your life. You can either cling on to him for everything you've got or you and, distance, and distance because you're built up so angry in, angered inside. For me... I have such a strong relationship with my Heavenly Father. When I was uh, nine years old, my mother, my sister, and I, we were in a car accident, and we were hit by a transport truck. And in that accident, both my mother and my sister were killed. And when our car landed on the side of the road, I called out, and someone pulled me from the car. And I all I had was a little cut on my finger. I got three stitches on my index finger on my right hand. And that was it. I realized that I had been protected. My mother and my sister, they were initially in comas. They had brain injuries, brain damage, and uh, broken bones. Their bodies had been destroyed, and yet I walked away from this accident, and I knew without a doubt that I had been protected. I had been divinely protected and that God had a purpose for me. And I learned two things. I learned that, one, death is not a punishment. It's not a punishment to those who go. And it's not a punishment to those of us who stay behind, that we each just have a different timeline. And so for my mother, that was 37 years. For my sister, it was seven. And now today, I know for my daughter, all she needed was 14 years. Each one of us, we don't get a guaranteed 82 years. And if we don't get our 82 years, we've been cut short and and we can be angry at God. It doesn't work that way. We each have a different timeline. And no matter how much time we have, it's okay. And so I had been very much prepared for what I needed to do with my daughter. Then when I found out that she was going to be time for her to make her transition, I had been perfectly prepared to help her to make her transition in the most beautiful way. Over the years, I knew that I could maintain a relationship with my loved ones on the other side because over the years I had felt my mother close to me. Um, I literally will feel her hands on my shoulders and I have heard her, her whisper to me. And so I knew that was possible. And so before Celeste passed away, we had a difficult conversation one day and she said, mommy, I'm going to miss you. And I said, I'm going to miss you too, sweetie, but you need to understand something. Everything that I learned about being a mommy, I learned from my mommy. Nana Joy was only 37 when she passed away. And I look just like my mother and I sound just like my mother. And so for Celeste, it was going to be like she was going from one mommy to another mommy. 
And I knew that she was going to be in the best hands possible and that my mother would take wonderful care of my little girl. <laughs> We're both crying. Yeah. <laughs> we just got tears running down our faces. It's okay. Oh, man, wow. that was beautiful. Well, thank you, Becky. Thank you, Laura, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, yep, until next time. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.